All right, hello, Barney here. Just a very quick introduction before we get into the podcast. Um, as you'll hear, Albert was away this week, so um, I had to step up in the hosting. Um, but not only did I have to step up hosting the podcast, I also step up in editing and um, various other things, which I ended up finding slightly difficult. So apologies if the audio is a little bit weird, um, etc., etc. But the, the biggest thing I've just realised and the, the mistake I feel I have to correct, which is completely all my fault and nothing to do with um, technical issues or anything like that, is just the fact that I said Jurvacent were facing PSV in the next round of the Europa Conference qualifier when in fact they're playing AZ Alkmaar and I repeated that mistake several times so much so that um, Kevin ended up believing that she was playing PSV in the Europa Conference qualifier so I apologise for that mistake and any others that you may hear throughout this podcast um, but it was a real pleasure to have Kevin on um, I want to thank him again for stepping in at the last minute um, and I hope you enjoy the rest of the podcast as a whole with me in the driving seat um, yeah, but Albert's back uh, next week, so don't no, do not worry about that. All right, cheers. Hello and welcome to the Longball Football Podcast, a weekly podcast by two brothers about all things football in Portugal. You're joined by myself, Barney, and this week I'm joined by a friend of the podcast, Kevin Arujo Fernandez. How are you doing, Kevin? You're right. Oh, good. Uh, thanks for inviting me. Yeah, you're welcome. I'm sorry about the. I'm sure I pronounced your name wrong then. Um, Albert's uh, sort of learning Portuguese, so he usually is able to correct my pronunciations but um yeah they're one of the weakest parts i've got uh when it comes to pronouncing names so i'm sorry about that um thank you so much for covering albert today albert's unfortunately uh not able to be on the show today um but we uh remember hearing you on uh zach Barry's Cortellina's podcast and i thought you know it was, it was really good to hear um well to be honest like a an essex accent talking so like well about portuguese football like that's similar to me uh, albert and i and um, yeah, so uh, thank you. Thank you very much for coming on. I guess this is a, a good opportunity for you to reveal um, any alliances you might have to Portuguese clubs uh, to our listeners. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm quite fond of Maritim mm-hmm. because of my mum's side. I have quite a good connection with them because my uncle, it's one of the first football shirts that I had and grew, grew a bit fond of them, to be honest. And I'm a big Sporting fan. Very big Sporting fan, but I try not let that gain away when I'm talking about the league. I, I, watch, I watch every game. Second division, sometimes third division. I basically have no life and whenever I can, I watch anything that's on. As long as it's Portuguese league, I'm fine with it. That's it, man. That's exactly what, what, what I think me Albert was sort of drawn to you on Twitter because like, we were seeing you chatting about all the, all the games over the weekend, just like any, absolutely anything. And so, yeah, it's great to to get someone on who's, who's so um, into the league as, as Albert and I. And also, um, I'm very happy that you're a, a sporting fan as well because, well, usually me and Albert start the podcast with a little bit of news and where else to start the news section this week than the um, the transfer of Mateus Nunes to Wolves that looks all but done. Um, a transfer that I was quite surprised about sitting sort of the, the, the 
things people were coming out in the last few days. Um, there was obviously David Moyes, the West Ham manager, all but said that Mateus Nunes had turned down um, a few weeks ago. And so I thought he was very much going to stay at Sporting. But man, I'll be interested to hear your thoughts on this move because, yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a blow for Sporting. It's an interesting one because everything said by the manager until this point was leading to him staying for another season. All the transfers were done. Um, just last week, I think the manager was saying that Tabata left because everything was calculated exactly to keep Matilda Nunes for another season. But somewhere along the line, or perhaps it was just a plant to get one of the clubs to offer a higher value, maybe Matilda Nunes ended up being pushed and the calculations were not as simple as once thought. But somewhere along the line, something changed and he looks on his way. And it's just really bad timing because the next game is against Porto for the Classic. Sporting fans were already in a little bit of a panic in the first game week due to the that draw to Braga. For many, it felt like a loss. And it's, it's just really unfortunate, but to be expected eventually. Yeah, well, I some thought... Some thought he might, he might go to City, hold out for City, but he seems to have been convinced by the Wolves project somewhere along the line. Well, that's exactly what I thought. I thought that, you know, he was going to stay for another season. Um, and then sort of almost but all but be guaranteed a move to a top Champions League club, the, the way his trajectory was going. And so it does surprise me. Um, however, you must. I think that the talk is that Bruno Lars convinced him that, you know, that there's a project there, but also I imagine that there, that move might still come a few seasons down the line for him. Um, what do you think of the fee, Kevin? Because it's it's quite substantial, but, but I guess once again, we're sort of seeing potentially we could have got a lot more next summer if he, if he was to stay I think it's it's around fair at the moment considering he had a bit of a drop off in form if you look at the top midfielders sold in Portugal he's joint highest with uh, João Mario not if you consider the 5 million on objectives I'm not sure if anyone knows what exactly they are at this point I think it's around fair but again Sporting don't have a lot of room to negotiate because they're always saying We've got no money. We're quite poor. We're still recovering from 2018. And because of that release clause, that's at 60 million. Either we would hold out another couple of weeks and hope that a Manchester City or someone like that would come in for him. Or not because maybe it just wasn't an option at this point. So 50 million isn't a bad price. It's one of the biggest sales of the club. I'm not mad at it. I think more more people are upset because of the timing and just scared if there's not a plan B because obviously the president was highly contested a couple of years ago because of his transfer dealings and the way he went around his business and I just go back to that one season where the club was prepared with three signings on deadline day none of them seemed to do any good is Jesse Rodriguez who we know how that ended didn't even last the whole loan deal. Balassi, who was a complete mess and nothing like when he joined Everton. And Fernando, and if you don't remember who he is, I wouldn't blame you because he never even played for the club. So if that's any sort of judgment to then take on to the replacement of Matilda Nunes, who's one of the more influential players, I'm quite concerned 
And I hope that there's someone lined up. Well, the, the talk seems to be, and, and similar to sort of quite a lot of uh, sporting transfer strategy recently, is is looking within the league. I think I know Almazrati and then or um, Andre Almeida of um, Vitoria have, have both been mentioned. Um, so we'll have to see if 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 those moves comes off. That that would be interesting. I, I, it's, they're decent players, but you know Mateus Nunes is a, an absolutely huge player to lose. So we'll we'll keep an eye on that. It's, it's not the last we'll be speaking of Mateus Nunes. We'll be chatting about him when we discuss Sporting's game at the weekend a little bit later. But there's another transfer I also wanted to uh, briefly talk to you about. Um, uh, a, a very very messy transfer it's turning out to be, and that's Ricardo Horta from Braga to Benfica. It, it it still hasn't happened. There's all these twists and turns going on. I think all that potentially we could be looking at a, a bit of a scandal, in my opinion. I, I can see this going like right to the wire. Ricardo Horta's uh, apparently just starts started speaking to FIFA to see like what if he can complain that way and try and get compensation if this move doesn't come off. It, it's a, it's a hell of a mess. Um, because he even played at the weekend as well. That's the thing, man. So yeah, I, it, this is this is a messy situation, and I, I, I'm sort of inclined to say that this is gonna, this isn't gonna end well. I'm not sure it happens at all. At least not in this window, just because there's a reason that in England you cannot per, uh, you can't purchase percentages of passes because of this. Like no one's even completely sure which agent or what side contains this percentage of the pass and. The sale needs to run through Malaga as well as Braga, and Malaga are in a financial state too. Braga don't necessarily need to sell because of their their new project, which seems to be a lot more revolved around the youth. And Benfica were, for a long portion of this window, trying to run the clock down and try and get a cut price on it. I'm not 100% sure, but as you said, it will not end well. Benfica do need a winger. And we will come on to their recent game where it, it just looked like they were screaming out for some impact on the on the wings, especially with uh, Neres being out. I don't know, man. I'm just if I was a Benfica fan, I would not be that optimistic at the moment because it just seems to be getting worse and worse on the negotiation side. Yeah, and I think you're right to bring up that sort of third party ownership thing. That's that's the real sticking point here, and I feel like it's. I still don't know the exact. Um, proportion of uh ownership that you know these various clubs and people have of, of, of Ricardo Horta it's it's very confusing and that, and that's why I was sort of saying that I feel like I do feel like something's going to come out of this which is going to not do well because there's even you know there's the the, the uh, George Mendes the sort of agent is there's reports that he could even have like a, a proportion of um, Ricardo Horta's past so I don't know we'll have to see what happens with that it's I mean yeah, I agree with you. I think it's Benfica was sort of banking on this signing coming off at some point, but also holding out for a, a cheap a cut price deal. And it, it looks like that could have come to, well, bite them in the foot potentially. But um, yeah, certainly not the last we're going to hear about uh, this transfer. There's one more transfer I just wanted to talk about as well, is which um, I think it's quite a significant transfer. It's an Adrian Marin to Gil Vicente, the, the, left, the Spanish left back who was on loan uh, to Fama Cal last year had a had a good season. I just think it's um as signings go for teams outside the big three in Braga, I think this is quite a significant one because um in my opinion I thought Andrew Adrian Marin was one of the yeah like I said one of the best left backs in the league and for Silver Sense to sort of come back and get him I think is a, a really good move for them. I don't know if you have any thoughts on on Adrian Marin. 
I think he's a great player. He's really solid offensively and defensively. For Malakal, we're already kind of feeling his loss, as well as Banzer up front. That's another question. Um, for Malakal, a lot weaker without him. He's certainly one of the better left-backs in the league. And Gilvicente last season were obviously great, but if any Gilvicente fan were to say a weak spot in the squad, they'd probably say the left-back Tolosha, who is now in second division at Ferenc. So they've replaced him very well. I'd say it's a definite upgrade, and I could definitely see him pushing up maybe to Porto if they were to sell Vendel, who hasn't had much of an impact, and perhaps grabbing him, or even Sporting, depending on what they feel with Matheus Reis, who wasn't, isn't the most proficient left wing-back going forward, and Nun Sancho has his doubts defensively. I can see him making a jump or even going back to Spain. He's a great, solid player. Another reason for these sort of clubs to go fishing around even Spanish second division or the lower clubs in Spain and just be a little bit more ambitious with their transfers because this is a, a great signing. I'm sure Gilles Vicente didn't think he would potentially come off after the season that he had at Famalicão. So I think it's a great move for all parties. Famalicão are having their, their issues with uh, their consistency and obviously they have high squad turnover every year. Julian still look like an interesting project. I'd be delighted with this signing. Yeah, no, I think it, I think it's an absolute great sign, and I think that brings us nicely onto a quick little chat about Europe as well, because um, we still have teams from this league trying to qualify to the knockout stages of a couple of European tournaments. Obviously, Benfica uh, got through to the final Champions League playoff, and they will face Dynamo Kiev of Ukraine. They comfortably beat uh, Danish team uh, Mijenta. Michelin, I think Albert said the other day. I don't know how to say it. It's a tough one. Uh, Michelin 7-2 on aggregate. So that's great to see them through to the um, the final playoff. I think Dynamo Kiev will be a tough tie, but I also, once again, fancy Benfica to do quite well there. And then the Gilbert Centre we've just been talking about um, got through to the uh, beating Riga, uh, convincingly 4-0 at home and 5-1 on aggregate. They will face PSV, which is an incredibly hard test for them, you know, considering this is a, you know, a conference league uh, playoff game. And I think, you know, considering that had Victoria uh, got through to their final playoff round, uh, they were knocked out on aggregate um, despite beating Hedrick split 1-0 at home. And if they got through, they would have been playing Villarreal. And when the conference league came about, I originally thought this was going to be a fantastic competition for, you know, the Portuguese clubs. But... The reality is, you know, we've had Paso de Ferreira knocked out by Tottenham. Um, Gilles Vicente will now face PSV, which is, you know, not as good as Gilles Vicente have been. I don't fancy them to get through that tie. And then and Vittoria, if they had got through, they'd have played Villarreal. I, I wonder what your thoughts on this competition is, Kevin, because having I've gone from being very excited to feeling like this is a, you know, does, does this really basically show the frailties of the Portuguese league? Infinitely. It's not something new. The amount of times that, to use an example, Maritimo would get to the Europa League qualifiers, crash out immediately. They've made appearances almost all around 10 times. They only got through twice, which just demonstrates the fact that as much as I believe that league is growing in somewhat in quality of the individual players, I think there's still a lot to grow and to realise that there is football outside of the Portuguese league and that all in all, the style of play 
the quality of refereeing and how the referees let the teams play and grow, how the prize money is dealt out, how the TV rights are dished out. It's very amateur compared to especially the five top leagues. And even even the touch division is giving us a lesson. When you see Feyenoord get to the stage where they got to, compared to a team like Braga, who should have a little bit more ambition, who should look not only to, to crack into the top three, but go further in Europe. Because the Portuguese teams do have that sort of capability. You've got Benfica, Porto, Sporting Braga. They have reached finals before. They've won finals before. But it seems like just getting to the knockouts is some sort of achievement. When you look at a team like Ajax, that's this mould that every Portuguese top three team and even Braga can fit into when you look at the academies. But there's just something lacking. And when you have a team like Vitoria, who was the supposed fifth best team, when you look at it objectively, league finishes, fans, stadium size, but they're struggling to beat Puskas Academia, who, no disrespect, I'm sure they're a great talented side, but when you look at the conditions that each side should have, Vitoria should be beating them com- comfortably, like Gilles Vicente did with Giga. Michelin have uh, some sort of history in Europe before, as do Benfica, but Benfica, with the conditions that they have, with the money that they've spent, with the sort of project that they're building now with this new manager, should be beating a side like Michelin 7-2. When you look at the teams on the pitch and off, that should be the expectation. And unfortunately, it just seems to be some sort of rarity. And no one really bats an eye. Um, the Portuguese league is weak and it is getting very, very exposed by the introduction of the Conference League, which is a great opportunity for these smaller sides as compared to the top hitters in each league to have their chance to grow, to have their moment in the spotlight. Because of this, the Dutch teams have shunned and gone further. We've stayed behind and it's showing because very soon we're going to be the seventh top league in Europe where at the start of last season, they were battling for fifth. There was a, a small period that Portugal overtook France, that league with PSG in it, that should be carrying their coefficient. Yeah, it, it's just a it's a wake up call, a massive I, one. I think that's a really really good point because, yeah, I feel like the the introduction of the conference league and and the coefficient is it's been really interesting to see how that how much that's been affected. Um, but you know, having said all that, I, I think that that's a conversation, a bigger conversation that I would love to have another time, perhaps. But you know, I want to qu- quickly spin it back to you know, Gilbert is still in this. I feel like they can. It's going to be tough, but we never know that. And of course, um, we're hoping Benfica can get to the knockout stages to join um, Porto and Sporting in the Champions League. Um, but yeah, let's move on to the games this week, uh, Kevin, because um, all of which, sorry, all the matches of this weekend that involve tributes to Portugal and Benfica legend Fernando Chalana, who sadly um, passed away last week. But let's start with Sporting versus Rio Ave. And after what felt like a, like you said earlier, disappointing free-free draw with Braga last week, Sporting scored three goals again in their first home game of the season against Rio Ave on Saturday. Pote looks like he may have recaptured his goal-scoring form, netting two in this game, and a bomber from 
the sadly departing Mateus Nunes um, got the job done for Sporting. Kevin, I'm interested to hear your thoughts because I felt like the main story going into this game and and the discussion that's been around a bit in preseason two is is Sporting's front three with and with Paulinho out injured, Amon went with a front three of Pose, Edwards, and Chincao. And in my opinion, this seemed to work really, really well. I agree. Um, Paulinho sometimes is definitely the scapegoat and gets a lot more hate than he should do. But it's understandable when the team has always had some sort of stigma around scoring goals. The goals are the problem. The goals are the problem. And in all honesty, Paulinho is sort of losing his protagonism in the front three. If you look at his touches of the ball, where he's finding where he's finding the ball, he's just losing that sort of influence in build up and impressing. And the, the sporting fans are all quite worried about the fact that there is only the option of the false nine, whether that be Pedro Gonzalez or Edwards, and the option of Paulinho, who isn't an out-and-out striker and does not guarantee you the 20 goals that a Taremi or Gonzalo Ramos is going to do. But I think it was a great game to demonstrate the fact that Pedro Gonzalez and Edwards in that sort of false nine role, the, the mobile front three, works really well. Pedro Gonzalez needs to be more central, have the freedom to roam around. Because with Sarabia, it seemed like Sarabia was stealing his sort of spotlight. Pot was pushed out further to the left-hand side, who obviously, when Sporting won the league, Nuno Sancho was in that position. It was never Pot, so I think it suits him the best. Edwards is obviously such a silky player. Trincao as well, they, all, they both love hugging the line. They can also come inside, cut in, shoot. Look like it just works to their advantages. And Paulinho obviously is going to have his moments too, but it's just great to finally see it in motion. I think yeah. it works really well. It does work really well. And I think, like you were saying there, it's the, it's the fluidity that I, I really liked watching. You know, I think, I think instinctively, I feel like both Edwards and Trincao suit the right wing spot. And, and, and though Trincao sort of operate there, I'd say the most throughout this game, I think. I sort of feel like Edwards is at his best as well. So I don't know if that's the only sort of sticking point really how to work that balance out. But apart from that, I think, yeah, the, the fact that all, all three of them are sort of drifting around just worked so nicely. And I think, yeah, I think you're spot on there with Paulinho as well. I think I, I feel like his, when he plays in that sporting attack, his presence is so it's so big. And I don't mean that, in, I just mean in terms of sort of what he requires from the rest of the team, it just and and how it interrupts interrupts the play, and I don't know. I I this this front three just excited me a lot more, and I think it I think it suits the the pace more that I feel like Sporting want to play at. Um. So yeah, I I I'll be, I'll be interested to see if that if if Amaran sticks with that for um that that front attacking three going forward. We've got to talk about Mateus Nunes's goal as well. I mean that was. Just so good. And it's like, it's weird because I was writing my notes about him for this game with the idea of him staying. I was even complimenting Amarin for sort of convincing him to stay. And, and I guess now it's sort of, it's it's a moment to sort of appreciate this the, the player that we're seeing. I think 
I think he's he's been great for Sporting. I think you're right. He did have a little dip in form, but uh, I think the way he started this season, he was looking like it was going to be a really important player on that midfield, and it will be interesting to see how that how that midfield um, is presented going through into the rest of the season. We'll see who Sporting have in mind to replace him, but Matilda himself, I've been a very big critic of him because I, everyone knows the potential he has, the quality that he has. I've personally followed him since he arrived from Sturil. Just a brilliant player. Someone with a build that I've never really seen in a central midfielder. I've not seen many players with his sort of pace and physical ability. The dribbling just to force a space through, run through, carry the ball forward with sort that sort of aggressiveness and tenacity. And I do still have my doubts about not his passing ability, but his consistency, because he has the range. It's whether he can utilise it instead of looking to just transport the ball forward with his athleticism. As well as in the double pivot, it's very taxing on your positioning. And I did, I did have my doubts about him in the middle with Ugarte. I don't think that fits sometimes as well as, in theory, it should have, or as Amory intended. But look, they're small small issues to work out in comparison to what he brings and what he can be moulded into. He's a phenomenal player, but I say he's obviously going to come back around December. If we're lucky, you've got Morita, who has started very well, I think, as, as well. A very underrated player, intelligent player, also very good passing range, decent with the ball at his feet. Ugarte, who just destroys everyone in the midfield. Underrated ball control as well. Honestly, you just need to continue looking for that solution because I know what Amorim was eventually going to plan for his exit. He said himself, the only thing that you can't replace is your death. The, the human life cannot be replaced. Everyone else has been. You replace Sarabia with, with um, Trincao. You play João Mario with Matheus Nunes. You've got your own little... My 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 own pick for his replacement eventually would have been Matheus Fernandes, who has been involved in pre-season. I think he's a great player. I think he's in the mould of Matheus Nunes. You get another man in. You let put when we have another option up front or you want to play Hoshinga for his ability between the lines. And you can even have him as an eight. You get an eight in. You use Potmore. Matheus Fernandes will grow. Morita and Ugarte are already there. Usugu is an option as a number six. It's not all doom and gloom. It's just getting the right man in and just putting the fans at ease because obviously it is going to be a very reactionary phase of shock, especially before a big game. Mm-hmm. But he can be replaced, perhaps not with all of the qualities and the quality as a whole, but he will re- be replaced. But Wolves are getting an exceptional player. Yeah. Whether you size him for a few of his faults and consistency, he is a very unique player. Yeah. He, he can't be doubted. No, I I can I completely agree with that. I think that it, it's it's once again it's a surprise to me that he's going to a club of that. But I think you made some really good points there about the way that um players can be replaced. And I think it's also we've sort of quite quickly, or what I have myself is 
forgotten that Palini has gone, you know, and that's credit to Marita and Agate for their performances so far this season. So, uh, yeah, I think, I think the defense, uh, sorry, the midfield is going to be, um, it's going to be all right, I think. Um, but yeah, we'll be interested to see what they do in the transfer market. I, I also wanted to talk to you about defense, Kevin, because, you know, there was quite heavy criticism leveled at Sporting's defense last game um, from, from ourselves as well. And, and, I was interested that Neto came into that back line because it, just because I thought, you know, since you obviously got injured in preseason, um, but, you know, he was still back in time for the Braga game. And, and it would just, it, it was, I don't know. I, I think it suited Nassio playing on the left-hand side of the back, the back three. Um, I think that was good, but it, it was interesting to see Neto come back into that starting eleven. I think it was very welcome to, to put him back into the side because he, He's not exactly the leader in the defence, with Coates being the more vocal figure in the centre, but he does inspire a different sort of confidence in the teammates. He does his job. He's not the most proficient player you're ever going to see. doesn't have a lot of pace. He's obviously in the twilight years of his career, but his influence on the bench in the dressing room cannot be... It can't be understated, and he very rarely has his faults. He does his job. And you could see against Rio Ave, they obviously pose less of a threat being a newly promoted side and losing the players in their attack that they did. But I did like the defence a lot more. They seemed a lot calmer on the ball, a lot more organised. And there are still steps to take because let's not forget that in when Sporting did win the league, it was very largely down to the defence who would concede very very few chances. Obviously, last year... The points were the same. The goals were the same. There were more goals conceded. And perhaps in the goals scored in different times, but you did concede more goals. The defence just didn't inspire as much confidence. And that Braga game, I would like to think that it's one-off, but you cannot have a player in your defence as technically proficient as Inacio, and he ends up giving the ball away about 20 times, all in the same fashion, Borgo, as good as he is, doing the same. Matilde Cage, as much as he improved last season and was some sort of a revelation, also doing the same. Just no confidence, same individual mistakes. If, if Mistakes can be avoided as well. We're not talking about Vitinha, who did press Inasu very well. You can avoid this and you can tweet and make adjustments and stop committing the same mistakes and losing the ball in the same way. So, Amorim was not happy after that game, and he did say he was going to tweak and look at the defence and adjust the issues. It looked like Kiwav was a dress rehearsal for Porto, who obviously have a, the best attack in the league. I would be surprised if Neto did not start that game. Uh, it does depend on whether Saint-Just is being considered as an option because obviously coming back for injury, missing a large period of preseason, it does have its effect. And Amorim likes everyone to be very well settled before getting their run of games. But I think it was a very good improvement. And also down to the midfield, being a little bit more compact, more organised. Something I do like to see when Sporting are in the defending phase is to see one of their attackers drop into midfield because I feel like many times the midfield is often outnumbered 
in the middle and needs a little bit of reinforcement, especially when Matilda is not on his game position-wise. And Ugarte is obviously very aggressive. If he misses that tackle, obviously will sometimes just miss that one midfielder in there and one of the defenders will have to step forward and might create an overload. Uh, we have to wait until Portal because you won't get, at the moment, a tougher Tesla than that. No. But it looked like a good improvement. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think, yeah, Portal will be a great test. And I think uh, perhaps I was doing Neto a disservice there, sort of questioning why he got into the team. Because, yeah, I think you're right. He offers a, a real good bit of experience. And let's let's talk a little bit about Rio Ave, Kevin. Because um, as, as you touched on there, they have they seem to have issues in attack. I think it's one shot on target in two games now. Um, and then they're missing Pedro Mendes, I feel, who they had on loan from Sporting last season. Um, who's got 11 goals to them. And yeah, I know they're trying to get everything, uh, trying to do everything to get him back. Um, but yeah, Aziz, for me, looked, you know, he's led, he's led the line for them so far. Young striker. I, I don't know. I, I think the thing for me is when I think of Rio Ave, and maybe this is, I don't know, recency bias, but when I think of Rio Ave, I think of wingers for some reason, Carlos Mane, for example, even um, Fabio Contrao. Um but they they don't seem to be playing with them at the moment, or or have anybody who who fits that bill. I know they've signed um, Hernai, the ex Porto winger uh, from Spain, and and they have um, Paulo Vita, who is a decent, looked quite decent in my opinion. But he sort of seems to be playing left wing back for them. So yeah, I, I I'm interested to hear your opinions of them so far this season, and and what, what you think they need to sort of get, get a few more shots on target. I definitely reinforcements in attack when you when you look at their, their squad. I have faith in their manager. Luis Freire looks like a great manager. He had a tough time at Nacional. Obviously, they're seen as sort of the Portuguese league version of um, of um, Norwich, sort of yo-yo club. But definitely not not bias. You can go and check their records <laughs> on promotion and relegation. But I have a lot of a lot of respect for the club. They're obviously quite a big club in Portugal. They've had quite a few years without getting relegated. Obviously, always that mid-table sort of side. Um, I, I look at their squad and they've got good midfielders. Guga being one of them. I liked uh, Amin when he was at the when he was at Ferenc in their stint at the top flight. Got some experience in Vitor Gomes. The defence is quite solid too. They brought in Manuel Nobrega, who I think is a solid young prospect. Costinha is a great is a great um, right back coming from their academy. They've got plenty of experience from the first division there. Goalkeeper is definitely not 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 a position they need to worry about. Didn't didn't seem to cause lots of issues. They seem quite organised in the first the first uh, first half. I think Sporting only seemed to impose themselves on the game in the second half. But there is just. They're just missing something, some sort of potency in attack. Mm. Edlani is a good signing, I think. He does still bring some extra quality. You don't stay in the Spanish first division that long without bringing something different, uh, superior quality. But they are they are missing that vocal point in attack because as much as Pedro Mendes didn't score like those 20 goals that you expect from a talisman, a target striker, he's very important for their style of play. He's definitely a, a reference to just hit the ball up to him. He'll hold it off and bring others into play. And 
I do rate Paul Vitor as well. Uh, Jakuba Aziz doesn't look like a, an awful player. Fabio Ronaldo, obviously, another youngster who they will bring in. They look to be future-proofing themselves as much as anything for another stay, another long stint in the first division. I, I will await signings, though, because I don't think it's enough. I don't think their attack is enough to keep them in the league as it is at the moment. Yeah, I, I think we, that we will see a few more transfers for Riyadh in the rest of the transfer window. Well, let, let's move on to the next game. Um, we'll talk Casapia versus Benfica. Um, Casapia hosted Benfica at the Uniad de Lira Stadium in Lira, whilst they are having construction work done on their stadium. Um, there was a story going around uh, saying that they would Casapia would have to play their other home games against the big three there even once their stadium is ready, uh, was ready to make things fairer for Porto and Sporting. And um, God knows if there's one thing this league needs more of, it's making things fairer for the for the big three. But fortunately, I think that story was uh, uh, scrapped and, and Casapia will be playing their future games in their home stadium once it's ready. But this was um, this was actually a decent game for Casapia, who we shouldn't forget have not been in the top division for 86 years now. And they, they, made, it, they made it hard for Benfica. Um, Benfica eventually got a goal through Goncalo Ramos in the second half to win one 0 But yeah, this was this was no walk in the park for Benfica. I was very impressed with Casapia. Obviously, they had a game last season against Sporting in the in the cup, and they do look like a very promising project. Obviously, a, a quite a small club. Looking at their stadium, despite being in Lisbon, uh, Philippe Martins has done an exceptional job with the conditions that he has. They've even replaced their key players very well. They've lost Jota Silva, who obviously went to Vitoria. And even then, they looked very organised. It took Benfica a long time to break them down, despite being a very free-flowing attacking side. Obviously, they battered Michelando over the two legs. Uh, had a very good scoring game in the first game of the season. Yet, still don't look to be missing him. They reinforced well. I was very impressed with them as a side, especially just considering the conditions that they have to work with. And facing a Benfica, you won't see Benfica with much more confidence than that this season. I'll, I doubt it. Despite having their issues, their growing pains, I think I was really impressed with Casapia. Just their organisation, their, their sort yeah. of resilience to stay in the game. And they did go forward with some regularity and could have caused more problems. Yeah, definitely. I think you know that. I think you're right to credit their their organisation because they they, you know they they they, they packed out the defence. They sometimes had a line of six with one of the wingers dropping back into that five, and, and there was just no gaps, was there, for for Rafa or or Goncalo Ramos to get through. And a centre back had caught my João Nunes, who was actually an ex Benfica B player um, and arrived from Puskas Academy in, in the summer. He's currently registered the most blocks in the league and he also has the fourth most tackles in the league for the season so far. And, you know, he was just a prime example of uh, just a high quality performance from some of the defenders. But yeah, I like you, uh, the, the wingers caught my eye for them as well because they, they had a couple of breaks and, and uh, Godwin and Kunimoto, um, they should have scored in one of those breaks. You know, the, the, the square ball was on and they did, he just couldn't, um, Godwin couldn't find Kunimoto. So... Yeah, I think Casapia um, deserve a lot of credit for the performance in this game. But let's have a look about talk quick talk about Benfica as well, though, because I was very surprised to see Diego Gonçalves in the team. 
you know, I know that they've they've got a couple of injury problems, and of course they'll be looking at the the European qualifiers. But I, I've seen, I think it's, I've read it a few times on Twitter, and I'm sorry because I can't remember who I've read this off, but um, just the talk of the the thing with Benfica at the moment is, you know, they obviously have a lot of players they're trying to shift, and players who probably they would sell if if, if they got an offer for them. But whilst they're here and at the club. You know, they the the talk is that they they need to be used. They need to be treated as assets. And I don't know if that's the reason we saw Diego Gonzalez in the team. But when you consider the young players they have at their disposal, young players they've sold, and the young players that are currently out on loan as well, it 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 does seem a shame. And I I do think you know when you when you see that maybe I'm doing being too harsh to the guy, but like you know there's there's something not didn't feel quite right just seeing Diego Gonzalez in that starting eleven for Benfica. It's definitely a short-term fix. He's on his way out, as far as I'm concerned, as far as what the impression was given during pre-season. And he's not a player at the level of this Benfica team. He had his run in the team, obviously that free kick against Arsenal in the in the Europa League, not even that long ago. He's a, a decent player. I think he's more of a, a right-back than anything, just because of the quality that a team like Benfica should have on the wings, a little bit more unpredictability, a bit more, a little bit just more technique because he seems like more of a basic player. As a winger, just a lot more of a basic, down the line, cross it in, old traditions, fashion, old fashioned and traditions player. And obviously they do have Diogo Moreira in the academy, the golden boy, the the man that was making everything happen in the youth league. I don't think he is quite ready. Uh, they did loan out Thiago Veia, who I think is also a very good option. Strong in the first game for Sturil. The, wing, the wings are their weak points at the moment because they realistically only have Neres and Rafa for those positions until Horta does come. And even then, one injury and the options on the bench are quite scarce. And it might get to the point where you will see Juan Mario drop to a right midfielder as he used to play for Sporting or Paul Bernardo, Chiquinho to be adapted into those spots. I think they definitely needed to keep Gouveia as a sort of bench option as much as he will further his development away at a club with regular football. He could have been a very useful asset just to bring a burst of energy off of the bench and feature actually quite a lot now that you think of it. And you look at the whole Benfica team, they do need a little bit of depth in some some positions. I don't think their window is completely done, despite the amount of money that they've spent. But yeah, it's definitely a weak point and it's not to be harsh on Diogo Salch. He's a decent player. I'm sure he'll be more than fine at a club like Famali Khan who needs that sort of depth and that sort of player with higher experience and he can be a useful asset but he just shouldn't be starting for a team against a low block where you do need a player like Khafa, like Neres, who can just do something that will take you that will just catch you off guard, a little bit more pace, a little bit more dribbling ability fair in product something like that because it was just lacking and you could see that it was over-reliance on the one winger that they did have. Mm. Yeah, and I think, well, I guess one position that Benfica do have depth in is is striker and, and Kunkala Ramos, who got the goal in this game and, and has started for them in both league games so far this season, keeping Uremshuk and 
and you signing Peter Moose on the bench. I mean, Goncalo Ramos, uh, it's he he's slightly confused me because I've, he just looks brilliant. He looks fantastic. I feel like he's matured so much as well. You know, particularly in this physical duels, I felt he looked really, you know, for his goal as a prime example where he just sort of overpowered the defender. But I think it's interesting because there's still talks of him potentially being moved on in this window. And I, and I would just be doing everything I can to keep him because he looks like a real, real threat. It'd be a real shame to see him leave at the moment. Last season, he was a good player and he was realistically playing out of position as a second striker when his biggest his biggest strength is his ability inside the area, his heading, his ability to find the right position. Uh, if Newcastle, who whoever is rumoured to get him, does pick him up, he's they're getting a great striker someone with a lot of upside. He's only 21 years old and it does take a very talented player to break into a first team of Benfica at that age in such a vital position for uh, a team of this quality, especially when you see they've got Yarem Shuk, who obviously great striker for Ukraine, had his history in Belgium as a great goal scorer. Another option, Khodrin Ping, who did his thing at Maritimo. I think he's a very underrated player, despite the injuries. And Petar Musa did his thing at Bovista, scored plenty of goals. And Hikaruju, who is another young prospect who has a very underrated finishing ability and ability to pop up in the right areas. They think it will be okay if he leaves. It would just be a great shame because I'm a big fan of him and I'm sure Benfica play- the Benfica fans will not want to lose him. They are growing quite quite fond of the of the guy, and I don't blame them at all. No, I think he's he's looked fantastic, and uh, yeah, I think he's gonna if he stays at Benfica, I think he's gonna score a lot of goals from this season. Right, let's move on to the the last of the big three, Kevin. Um, and it was actually another tight game for a big three club, um, who had looked so convincing last week, and and to anyone who had. Bacano in their fantasy team for the first two weeks. I, I salute you because it was his late goal coming in the 90th minute, which would get Porto the win um, away at Vizela. Um, yeah, I, I just feel like this performance from Porto had this come in during the run-in of, of last season. I don't think there'd be as negative a reaction to it as, as there has been, but uh, the fact that it's become at the start of a new season and, and, and probably because of the, the the activity they've had in the transfer window so far, it's, it's, it is hard not to be a little concerned about this uh, performance from Porto. It was very unimaginative. It's very basic. They were definitely lacking a player like Vitinha in the midfield, a player like Fabio Vieira to be roaming around on the right-hand side with that impact, that final ball. It it was just very, very surprising to see a team that's so intense basically seem to lose that sort of cutting edge, especially after the first game they had against Maritimo, just causing them all sorts of problems, just pressing them into death and self-destruction where they would give Porto the goals themselves. Uh, Vizela handled themselves very well. I do think that there is some sort of room to be a little bit concerned with Porto. But I also think that they're not going to get much worse than this, considering that they did make signings like Franco, like Gabriel Veron. They will get introduced into the side. Obviously, uh, the news is that they will go for a number eight, a direct replacement for 
beating it as much as I do expect Otavio to start in the middle of the park sometimes. And even Andre Franco, who does not have that, he does have the, the capability. There is some room to be a little bit concerned, but I think once they get integrated, start picking up minutes, I mean, Veron has great technical ability, very similar to Luis Diaz in a way, just because of the way that he can cut in and cause mayhem on that on the on the portal wing. Pepe is obviously a great player as well, and he got forced a little bit more into the middle, which surprised me. And I wasn't that much of a fan of, to be honest. I think he's great on the left-hand side, cutting in. I think he needs that space to to operate. Um, Andre Franco is just a direct replacement for Fabio Vieira, that right hand right hand side in midfielder who can just with one pass, one dribble, one movement, unlock a defence. So it's a little bit worrying, but can, considering the squads that Porto have, the manager that they have, who always seems to get the most out of the players that he has at his disposal, this is what Porto did for large portions of last season. They had their games against Surreal where realistically they should have lost, could have lost, didn't lose because a champion... At the end of the day, even in the worst games, ends up getting the goal. Sometimes you don't know how, don't know where from, don't know how or who. But someone like Marcano, every now and again, comes up, pops up with a goal. That's 1-0. That's all that matters. So yeah. we'll see how it goes. But I wouldn't be overly worried at this moment. No, I think you're right. I think that they have they've made some good signings and that. But, and, you know, there's players coming. I think the, perhaps what we saw is something that I feel like conscious how perhaps maybe does too much is uh, I feel sometimes he just gives he trusts players he trusts players for too long if you see what I mean I think I think, I think Grujic is an example of this I think he, he would have Grujic's played quite well to be fair to him but uh, and conscious I would have seen this and trust him to to play in this game when in fact I think Grujic was the wrong sort of player for this game and perhaps we should have seen a change in that example but uh, in in midfield because uh, you know with him and Uribe I don't think you're getting as much creativity if you had say an Andre Franco coming into the team or an Otavio but um, yeah and and I also wrote down that Evan Nilsson has, has had a slower start to the season I was expecting more things from him this year and, and he's he seems you know it is of course early days but he 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 does I don't know maybe it's because I tipped him to be top goal scorer but yeah I'm disappointed but um, yeah I think there's obviously more to come from him I think the thing is though you know it was it was interesting you brought the Marito game from last week there because that was a a perfect game for Porto in that sense whereas I thought Avro Pacheo had an excellent game plan for this one and there were some changes made to the Vizela team from last week uh, some force but I think that ultimately helped them you know the midfield was sort of Samuel and Mendes were out of the midfield and, and new signing Rosa and, and Guzzo came in and essentially two quite attacking midfielders coming uh, coming out and two defensive midfielders coming in so I think that really helped Fazella look so solid and and then the final change which I quite liked was Kiko Bendoza through the middle you know and partly due to the departure of Cassiano the striker and I think these these changes that that, that happened you know, just gave Vizella because this, this was a great performance for them, and I was very, very impressed, and I was absolutely gutted for them to, to have lost that, uh, lost lost two points, uh, lost uh, one point, sorry. Um, so yeah, I think there's there was some, yeah, there's some some strong performances from this Vizella team. Um, 
I'm a big admirer of Vizela just for the fact they're obviously not the most well well known club. They're not someone with the statue of Kiwav that gets promoted every now and again, or maybe even a Sturil, a Roca. Vizela aren't that well known, didn't have as many seasons in the top flight and came up and they look like they're here to stay for quite a while. They have a very underrated squad. A lot of names that you wouldn't expect to play so well. Not more second division recognised talent, but they come up and they have not looked for a minute out of place. And it's largely down to Alvaro Pacheco, who big fan of as well. I can see him moving to another club in the Portuguese division sooner rather than later, to be honest. And yeah, as you said, Kiko Bondor's a great player. Nun Moreira, mm. I think they're great attacking midfielders. The two players that wouldn't look out of place as options at a slightly bigger club. No disrespect to them. They've got a very dedicated fan base, which yeah. in Portugal, unfortunately, you don't see as often. You don't see a stadium constantly that full. We're making that much noise because obviously there's large amounts of fans more gravitated to the big three or the likes of even Vitoria. They're just a great small club with ambition who won't just stay to signing the old the old names that get relegated. They will pick up young talent. They will scout well, sign players suited to the manager as they have done. They've brought in a Tomás Silva from Sporting B who I've never seen a club get relegated and two of their first signings are beating players from one of the big three. And that's one of their starters that have undisputed confidence from their coach. I'm just very impressed. And if there was more projects like this Vizela team, I'd be delighted because they look like a great, strong unit. They proved themselves against Porto. They, they had a, a very solid game. They were unlucky to concede a goal when they did. I think Bruno Wilson was another another player that yeah. performed very well at the centre of defence. Obviously, uh, ex ex Braga player, uh, star for Braga B. Yeah, I'm I'm very happy with Vizela. I wish them to stay longer in the in the league and have more teams like this sort of project. As I was referring to Ajax before, I think if every club around the lower part of the table in Portugal had this sort of ambition and project I think we'd be more than fine we have more clubs that would end up in Europe with a better ability to show themselves Yeah, I think I think you're right there. I think Vizela are an excellent example of how a Portuguese club can be run really, really well um, I'm going to move on to the, the first game of, of this weekend's action um, Kevin, we talk about Braga now and like sporting Scored three goals again uh, this time away to Famalicão. It, it was, and I think Simon Banza is looking like early contender for signing of the season. You know, getting two goals in this guess, in this game. Um, whilst I feel like Famalicão potentially looking like early contenders for team to be worried for. Uh, what did you make of this game? Um, Famalicão usually, except their first season in the top flight. Funnily enough, they seem to be slow starters and to. They sort of build themselves up and then the lower leg or the last leg of the season, they really cement themselves, get their, their finishing place mid-table and all drama is avoided. I think we've seen this story before. They do have a quite a, a good squad. They've got a lot of depth. They still need a couple of signings to increase the quality. 
the starting quality, but they do have options and their manager is not one of the worst that we've seen in Portugal. I'm sure they will be fine. But Braga do look very impressive considering that they do lose Carvalhal, who is a very solid a very solid manager, very tactically astute. But Rui Jorge has proven himself in the first two games that he will do exactly what is needed to beat the other team and exploit their weaknesses and just play to Braga's strengths because Banza might be signing of the season and I do want to have words with the sporting president as to why he was not signed. <laughs> Famalicão had nightmares with their ex-player and he's exactly the striker that Braga need and that sporting need. He's so yeah. strong. He's such a great player in the box. He can even make runs in behind the defence, which for a player of his stature is not completely normal. Great hold-up play. Just a, a great all-round striker. And he will partner definitely Abel Ruiz and Vitinha, who are more workhorses, direct players. Yeah. Um, he will feed off more just balls over the top solely. I think they've got a great mixture of talent. They've got good options, different options, which is very, very interesting. And a lot of young players. Yeah. I, I would say don't sleep on Braga just because their young talent is something to behold. And in a couple of years, with enough game time and confidence, they keep up this project. We could get someone who eventually can uh, compete with a lower club. And perhaps just not when a club like Sporting are having a rough period or Benfica. Just give them a run for their money with obviously less conditions. But if these players grow, there's no telling why they cannot eventually grow as a club as a whole and crack into the top three. Yeah. And I completely agree with that. And I think that, that you know, the a great sort of example of what you're saying that is the fact that Arthur George has, has stepped up and the, the the system he's implemented in, in these first two games have, have looked exactly right. It seems to suit the team really well and and, and the new signings. I mean, I think Sakaria, who who was the other goal scorer in this game, certainly suits playing in this. I, I thought he was a player who was out the door for Braga, to be honest, or under Carvalho last season, but coming into a back four rather than playing as a as a as a wing back, I think suits him and he was he was very effective, found a lot of players in the middle. Um and yeah, I think Banza, we're going to talk about Banza a lot this season. I just think he's, yeah, I, I, I like you, I was flabbergasted that Sporting didn't do uh, anything to try and get him. Um, yeah, moving back to Famicao quickly, sorry, it's just, I I agree with you. There is a lot of talent in that team. I, you know, new signing um, Zaydu Youssef coming into the midfield, I thought he looked very good in this game. Um, and to be fair to him, despite conceding three, I thought there was some, okay performances from the defenders. I mean, Lewis Jr., the goalkeeper, I'm a big fan of, and he had another good game. But it was where they, it was up the pitch, wasn't it? The attacking players, they would lose the ball, the midfield would lose the ball, and I think that's what really, um, that's what, that's what sort of, was where they lost the game, in my opinion. But, it's like you said, Family Cow have a slow start, they, they take time to work out their best players and then, you know, there's there's bound to be a couple more attacking players coming to the team. So we'll see what we'll see what happens with them. I do want to um move on to try and squeeze in a few more games for this episode, Kevin. Um let's talk about Santa Clara versus Bervista on, on Sunday. 
Now, Bovisa are the only other team, uh, the only team other than Benfica, Porto, and Vitura to have a perfect start. And they beat Santa Clara 2 1, having gone a goal behind. Bovista legend uh, Clinton and G and Debuton Martin Taveras got the goals. And Santa Clara ended up uh, with just nine men um, and looking a bit of a dire situation. Um, what did you think of this, Kevin? I, I feel like I just love it when NG gets on the score sheet for Bovis. It's just something about that just feels so right. Well, Vista, I honestly, I cannot, I don't know how to put into words for people to understand how impressive the start of the season has been when you consider they have registered a total of zero players because of their issues with the same, the same president, the same owner that is under control of Bordeaux, who have obviously had their issues dropping into the second division, potentially having to go into the third. And all they've had to reinforce is their youngsters, their youth academy, who, make no mistake, they do have some talent and players. But considering what everyone else has had to work with, Petit has had so much criticism after his time at at Bissad and has grown a reputation for being a coach that plays dire football, where I don't know where it's come from. But you cannot disrespect a coach who, with zero conditions, zero signings, only reinforcements from the youth teams, has a start of the season like this. And honestly, it is a dream dream start. No one at Bovista, I don't think anyone in the Portuguese league would say that they would win their two games and look very comfortable with and without the ball using young talent just just look very composed and like Petit knows what he's doing he's it's like he was ready for this situation to commence and all of the players looked ready to slot into the first team yeah I think you know it was great to see Tavares get on the get on the score sheet you know an absolute dream debut for him but also yeah I, that point you made there the fact that He's painted as being a negative coach, but that's not the football we've seen it in, in moments from Borovista. I think I'm I'm sorry, I'm gonna bring it back to NG because I, I was just so happy. I feel like he's a, a prime example of sort of what you were sort of describing there. The fact that you know great vocal he, point. Yeah, great, great vocal, vocal point. Um but but also not their sort of ideal choices as a striker obviously Peter Moussa was there last year and, and, and G was out of the team and then and but this is what Petty's got to work with and, and NG steps up once again I think there was a period two years ago when Albert Ellis went a bit dry and NG steps up in, in, in that moment so yeah I, I think it was I, I think there's something quite exciting happening at Bogusia in my opinion I think there's 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 players who are uh, must be absolutely full of confidence working in the Petit. I think Makuta is a prime example of that. Not a an, ex, an exceptional player by any stretch of the imagination, but the, the the way he's just yeah, like just brimming with confidence. In my opinion, under Petit, just it, it shows what the work he's doing there. I do also want to quickly talk about the the Santa Clara goal though from uh, Rudo, um, the guy on loan from Gremio. A, a fantastic. I think him and Alani were playing on the wings, and it's when they swapped, and he came on the left hand side. He, he he sort of got past Reggie Cannon and and jinked past a, a couple of defenders in the box and the goalkeeper and found the back of that. I thought that was a really good goal. But 
also a sort of the only sort of shining light for Santa Clara really you know that I mentioned at the beginning it's, it's now three reds in two games um, is it a couple of penalties they've conceded as well it's it's not looking good for them at all it really isn't and there's a lot of hype on their manager Mario Silva after what he did in the youth league with Portugal and until now I can't say that he's looking great after his time with Hiwav and afterwards at Almeria. He obviously brought it back with Santa Clara, which was quite an unusual situation. They had a, a few contracts delayed in payment to players. Um, obviously, a lot of uncertainty along his own contract to stay permanently. There was a period where he said he was leaving because he had an agreement, a verbal agreement, but the chairman didn't follow up. And then eventually he did stay. And obviously, there's a lot of inconsistency with the disciplinary issues. It it doesn't look great at the moment, but I just have some sort of confidence that they will bring it back. Obviously, the man who scored the goal looks like a solid reinforcement. They lost a lot of talent when you think of it. Lincoln, Morita, uh, Villanueva, who went to Vitoria. These are fundamental players, and it's one in each position of the pitch. Mm-hmm. But they seem like they will reinforce well. Obviously, we're going to touch on Brun Jordão, who looks set to join from Wolves. I think that's a solid signing. Hildo looks like he's going to do the business as well. They brought in Mahebi, um, no, sorry, Tagawa, um, midway last season. I've got some sort of confidence in this side. Uh, Kinti also looks like a solid option at left-back. Tomás Domingues is a, a very versatile option that can play in the defence. I feel like that they do have the ability to follow up the, the end of the season that they had, obviously recuperating a couple of uh, a couple of places in the league table after a slow start. It might be a repeat of last season, but at the moment they cannot continue committing the mistakes that they, they have and they need to be a little bit more organised because if it does continue like this exactly, it does not look good at all because I thought that Casapia did look like the better side in their first game. Yeah. No, I think it's... Um, I think when it's coming down to red cards and penalties getting given away, you, you can't really... You can't really blame the managers or sort of the players' mistakes in that situation. And I think you're right as well in the fact that there seems to be a, a two sides to Santa Clara. They seem to have a, an excellent scouting department being able to bring very good players and, and, and good replacements to... The, the, the decent players they ultimately end up losing and but then also have this messy side of financial situations that, you know it's a, a bit of a Jekyll and high club but uh, no I think that there's that it'd be interesting to see how they grow into the season like you said um let's talk about Maritimo versus Chavez um happened on Sunday Chavez recorded their first points of the season with a win in Madeira and um Joe Tagaway got Murray some uh, a goal against the run of play, I think that's fair to say. But after missing a penalty, it was Jao Tejera um, for Chavez, who got a goal back and, and actually got the winner after a, a beautiful cross from um, Correa. Uh, I thought this was a really interesting matchup this game. Uh, and um, Marisa are now winless after two. And uh, being a Marisa uh, sort of fan yourself, how, how, do you, how did you see this one? Good at all. <laughs> um, I did have some sort of confidence in Chavez coming up from the second division. 
just because of their style of play, I think Vitor Campelos has done a great side. Uh, he's built a great side for the first division. Uh, did quite well last season, considering that Chavez were... They didn't look like the team that were going to go up. They didn't look like they were a side that were built already for this sort of step up. But they've come up. They've reinforced the defence really well. They've brought in three or four names with first league experience and a lot of it. And their attack, just just look at the amount of joueurs that they have in this team. You had, had Joao Teixeira and Joao Minge that were running Maritimo riot completely the whole way. Start to finish, Chaves just look very impressive. They look quite aggressive for a team that got promoted. And going to Maritimo and winning in that, that sort of fashion is not an easy feat. Not that long ago, Maritimo was basically, any trip to Maritimo was feared by the mm. fans of any club, big or small. And Chaves go there and made it their own stadium. But with players on the pitch, not the fans to usually do their part. If Chaves continue like that, they will stay for quite a while in the top division. And I don't think that the Joao Teixeira influence that he has in that midfield I don't think that can be understated because he's a yeah. very silky player. Obviously, had his influence with a, a great goal from the middle of midfield. Shavs uh, did great. I just do want to say one thing to go off track, as I always do. <laughs> but why, especially for a game on an island when the rest of Portugal is obviously mainland, why are we having a game on a Monday <laughs> at half three in the afternoon? Yeah, that was delayed by about thirty minutes for reasons I haven't even understood yet. Because there were lines, there were queues outside the stadium to get in, but then apparently it was the referees that were delaying it for whatever reason that I have no idea of. Yeah, I mean, it, mate, I, I'm so with you on this one because it, it just and and especially the fact that it seems that Benfica are, are not playing this weekend just so they can concentrate on the Champions League qualifier as well. I'm not sure what's going on there. Like it just seems absolutely bizarre and just another example of the league having sort of no just no consideration for the fan experience at all really. Do they? Like it it's a really I just I was just surprised there were so many games on a Monday first of all and then the fact that you know Marito playing at home at in the afternoon, yeah. It, bizarre. Bizarre. I, and, I do Moan, and even you guys on the Twitter account have a right question about why is this happening, what decision is that. Mm-hmm. But I don't think anyone, even Benfica fans, cannot sit here and tell any of us that is justified to give them the week off and basically scrap their game for this weekend. But then Jubi Sint obviously have their game against PSV. Mm-hmm. That's not their game still goes ahead. Yeah, yeah. If anything, their task is a lot harder than Benfica's because they should be beating Dinamo Kiev. They should be reaching the Champions League every time because of the stature of club that they are. Gil Vicente is a good, solid, first-team division club. But they need a little <laughs> bit of help because they are playing PSV. Yeah, They do have more European ex- experience. And that, like, that... this is a very interesting conversation just because people outside of the league English, Portuguese, Spanish, you can be Chinese or Australian, have no idea what the Portuguese league is, but you put these facts in front of them and they will not understand it. Yeah. 
I mean, it, look, it's it's. I don't want to get too off track, Kevin, because we got a few more games to talk uh, talk about. But I, I, I'm completely with you. It's just, it's just a bizarre situation, and I don't. It's yeah, exactly how you said it. If you put the facts on the table for an outsider, they'll be like, "What the hell is going on?" And and that's for several decisions that this league does. Um, I think even um, Andy Brassel brought up uh, recently the fact that Fabio Contreras been given a match suspension despite being retired for a year and, and and the suspension coming from a game that happened almost 500 days ago like it's just like come on um but can I just quickly bring it back to Marisma just to, to finish off this game because I, Albert and I are actually texting each other a tweet that you put out about Siabra and, and the way he's trying to get this Marisma team to play I, I feel like you'll be obviously better to explain your thoughts on it because it has seemed that they're sort of there is a style of play that Seab is trying to implement, but at the moment it's not quite working. You know, it's like the manager is just more ambitious than the squad at the moment. Because you look at the, the first game, the players hear that we try and play out from the back, but then there's no decision making, there's no there's no grip because after the first goal went in, exactly like what happened with the Benfica game last season, you just felt they would be a riot. And there would be three, four, five, six goals scored. And there are obviously growing pains with this sort of experience. You don't go from one season to the next. One season you have Leeds Fidigal, who obviously has a very negative style of football, very defensive, containment, limit the score as much as possible, don't attack, keep your shape. To, to a manager like Siabra, who likes free-flowing football, it doesn't come quickly. It doesn't come without its problems, but it just feel like it just feels like the players sort of give up and they could give a little bit more. And some mistakes are just so avoidable and I cannot I can't understand it. But I have I have faith in this squad. I think there's still a lot of quality. I think there's a midfielder on that he's not completely up to speed. There's two injuries. Rafael Brito hasn't been seen, neither Jean Alfonso, two signings. Uh, Lucho Vega is not completely match fit, has not featured that much. There's two signings in attack, yet to feature that much. They're getting a couple of minutes at the end of games when they're already done. Beltram is far from match fitness. If I'm being completely honest, I don't know why he's starting. He just looks completely out of shape. and I don't know completely why, but the reality is as it is. The same as Jug Minch, he looks a shell of himself. Shadows looks like he's forcing things too much. It's just a very bizarre situation. I wasn't expecting it at all at the start of the season. And Meditim fans are quite worried, and I can understand why. Yeah, I, I, I can as well. I think that there have been... Perhaps it's just a question of time. I think that, like you said, there's some signings come in who I, I, I've caught my interest and I'm quite excited to see how it develops. And, and I think, yeah, Seabra obviously seems to need a bit more time to work out exactly what he can get this bunch of play, group of players to to do. Well, look, let's, I do want to cover the rest of the games from this week. So um, the final team still with a 100% record is Vittoria uh, and they beat Estro who looked so good last week, 1-0. Had the goal coming from Andre Silva, who I feel is really stepping up a level, having arrived from Aruka in the summer. Um, despite Estoril losing this game, I think these two teams, I have high hopes for, and I, and I think there's potential for both of them to be, well, certainly Victoria, but potentially Estoril to be in the mix for a European place come the end of the season. What do you think, Kevin? 
completely agree. I think they reinforce really well. I think Nelson Verissimo, obviously, his time at Benfica was not completely positive, but you put a guy like that, first experience of senior management at top level, in that sort of pressure, in a situation where realistically, no one's going to concede. No one's going to succeed in great fashion. He 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 needs his experience at this sort of side to step up from Benfica B, obviously in the second division. And I think he's quite tactically astute, and he's brought in signings that will. He knows how to get the best out of young players, and he's got a right hand side of Rosal Stevens and Thiago Veia. Not that much experience in top division. They will obviously make the mistakes that Gonzalo Stevens can't make. He should know better by now. It's obviously a very, very aggressive figure. <laughs> but it, this will happen. They will have their stupid losses, their stupid mistakes. But they played some great football in the first mm. in the first game. Really impressed. They've got great options of the bench. Promising players. Uh, their centre back duo. Neither of them have more than 23 years old. And you can't expect a side like that to not make any mistakes and have perfect game after perfect game. There it's will the, be small drop-offs, but I think they can definitely be above seventh place, for example. It's the, it's the gamble they're taking, isn't it? And I, I, I've, I've got confidence in, in, in that, uh, that, that gamble, as it were. I thought Alvaro, one of the centre-backs, was particularly good in this game. Um but Vittoria quickly as well. I want to talk about. I want to talk about their defense because I, the whole of last season, I was very critical of, of that back line. But I think this partnership of um, Villanueva and Amaro um, looks really good, and I'm just glad that Ab- uh, Moomin seems to be going out the door because I, I really I've never been a fan of him. Um, and and finally, I sorry, the sort of player that I talked about at the beginning. I just wanted to give a bit more, shine a bit more light on that Andre Silva. I just think it's such good business from Victoria to, to have picked him up because, you know, he obviously got that wonder goal last season, which sort of potentially put him on the map for some people. But you know, I, I felt like he he really stood out all season. You know, he had, he's had excellent stats, and, and I think in a team like Victoria, who are going to create far more chances than Aruka, he, he's he's really going to deliver. Um, I'm going to be perfectly honest. I think he's a better striker than Estupinha. I think he has better technical ability. I think he's more suited to this sort of side, especially when you have the creative players alongside. They won't have to serve a player that's a little bit more fixed to the area. And though Silva has, isn't able to roam around a lot more. And yeah, you touched on their defence to three, three players below the age of 21. I think to give full credit to, I'm not sure if he's an interim manager still, but obviously you've got Jean Rousseau who is the is he is the interim, or will become permanent. If it isn't, it should be because he's mm. handled the situation very well at a club that they've had their controversies. Obviously, they got taken over by a new president. There's been some sort of uncertainty among the fans, and this sort of this bet on the youth has gone exceptionally well. I think Miguel Maga is a great right back. Yeah, Andrea Maru seems a solid player on on the in centre back. They brought in Ogawa at left back, but they've also got Helder Star, who mm-hmm. has had a couple of great games and seems to have put Ogawa on the bench. And if you take away Alva Smidl red cards that look like they come every other game, 
Idris Abamba looks like a decent CDM with his, his room to grow. Obviously, Andre Almeida in the midfield. I have great hopes, and I think they can... It's definitely a side suited to provide and also facilitate, facilitate, but also work with and from Andrea Silva, who mm. I don't think, I think I agree completely with you. He did not get the credit he deserved from his performances at Oroca. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you on that. Well, look, let's talk about um, Aruka because they um, beat Vigilva sent 1 0. Um, and also, the final game we need to discuss as well is Pasta de Ferreira. Uh, losing 3-0 to Porto Menendez. A, a couple of interesting stats from these two games, Kevin. First of all, Fran Navarro failed to complete a single pass in 90 minutes for Gil Vicente. And, and finally, having come on um, injured for the... Sorry, having come for the injured Nicholas Gaetan on 13 minutes, winger Ilton for Passa de Ferreira gets a straight red for a, a terrible challenge three minutes later. Um, so, yes, yeah, two stats there to sort of paint negative pictures. But I think that's sort of drawing away the focus from two big wins for both Aruka and Portman and these are, these are massive results for these two clubs. Portman always seems to be that side where people kind of bet on them to go down or be around there, but they also, they just seem to always stay up and almost sort of surprise people. A very organised unit, Paul Sergio, it's another manager who always got his sort of stick for some sort of negative football, but it's doing its job and they're a very organised unit and they've had a couple of very important players leave in recent times. Obviously, they've not got Nakajima anymore. Uh, Bo Morta left in the middle of last season and they've managed to still respect themselves and hold themselves quite high. Um, as well as Oroka, I didn't expect this start from Oroka at all. I think they've been very surprising. I think uh, the signing of Busquets, obviously the, the other Busquets, Oriol, I think it's football manager having its way in real life. <laughs> I didn't expect it at all, but it's a welcome signing. Mujica seems like a decent striker up front. I think they're two squads that looking at their first performances, they can come on and actually really surprise the rest of the league and perhaps cause an upset and send the teams that we weren't quite expecting to go down in their places. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with that. I think these those these are good wins for two squads who are who are yeah, I think could could surprise a few teams this season. Right, well look, uh, we've got this um we're getting to the end of the show now. Um but I want to look ahead at next week's fixtures as we always do on the show and recommend a game or two we think people should try and watch. Um the big one is obviously Porto v Sporting Saturday night on BBC, uh, sorry, BBC, BT Sport 1 for viewers in the UK. Um, how are you feeling about that game, Kevin? Because that's, that's, a, that's a big game. Should be interesting. Um, I think it very much depends on the lineups that each side put out. If we see Gruwich in the Porto midfield and what I expect that will happen, probably the likes of Neto, Matheus Teij at left-back, Potentially Nunsant from the left wing, which has happened a couple of times to surprise Porto and bring a little bit of a more direct approach on the left-hand side, as well as what's probably going to be a double pivot, a more defensive one of Ugarte and Morita, as Matilda looks to leave before that game. I think it could be quite close, quite cagey. Obviously, 
the last time that both sides played in the league at Porto's place for the league. It wasn't a great affair for the football side and it was more of an affair off the pitch. So, to be perfectly honest, after all that's been said and done off of the pitch between the two presidents and between the players after the games, I wouldn't expect a great spectacle of football, to be honest, as much as both sides have the potential to play it. Yeah, I I, I agree with you. I think this could be this could be, <laughs> be a so you can't miss it though. Everyone's got to t- tune in for this one if if you can. It's 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 going to be tight. I think um if I was going to pick a game as we like to do, we try and pick a sort of a a niche uh, game for the viewers to sort of try and catch a team they wouldn't normally catch. I'm looking at Sunday. I think Porto and Vitoria will be a, a good game, but I actually think. It's the earlier kickoff that day, Casapia versus Boa Vista at 3.30 on Sunday. I think that could be a really interesting t- uh, game for the viewers who haven't watched Casapia before or are looking to see uh, a Boa Vista team looking very good under Petit. Well, look, I think that's all about about all, all the time we've got for this week. A massive thank you to you, Kevin, for stepping up uh, in for Albert this week. It's been a, a real pleasure to have you on. Um, for those that don't follow Kevin on Twitter, make sure you do. His details can be found in the podcast description. Um, he's uh, always offering great insights on all the games uh, for, for all the teams in the league. Um, but that leaves me just one thing to say. Thank you very much for listening and we will see you next week. <laughs>